It's your Connell Tribune, Thursday, 16th of August, 2018. Interment and Father Paddy Coyle. On Monday, the 9th of August, 1971, the words of the Barleycorn lead singer Brian, rest in peace, nearly 50 years ago this week are still a poignant reminder of those sad, dark days when the six counties imploded and things would never be the same again. Northern Iron had imploded into full-scale resistance to Stormont and British rule after 50 years of partition. British soldiers had arrived in our streets for the first time since General Neville McCready led them out of Beggar's Bush in 1921. The IRA split from the Marxist leadership who denuded the nationalist community in Belfast of weapons of defence in 69 and morphed into a modern guerrilla army which would take the war to end partition to a different level. The place, as they say, would never be the same again. At 3 a.m. in the morning of the 9th of August, 71, British troops in IUC rolled out in their armoured cars and jeeps through nationalist areas across the six counties, kicking in doors of hundreds of houses and arrested over 340 menfolk, pensioners, teenagers, teachers, writers, civil rights activists, poets, breadwinners, fathers and sons, and oh yeah, a few IRA men. Most of those arrested in that first swoop wouldn't have known a rifle from a hurley stick. Most Republicans arrested were guys who had been in jail in the 40s and 50s. Most in better shape to sing the boys of the old brigade rather than reenacted. The 340 lifted in Operation Demetrius were taken to special interrogation centres and then interned in an old RAF base outside Lisbon, Long Cash. But 14 were selected for extreme interrogation, tortured for a week, before being deposited in Long Cash as well. Their treatment so cruel, their case was brought by the Irish government to the Court of Human Rights as torture and inhumane treatment. From 1971 to 75, almost 2,000 were interned in Long Cash. Interment had been used in the six counties in every decade from partition. The last departed South African leader, P.W. Botha, once said he would give up all their laws for one act from the Six County Special Powers Act. On the streets, the nationalist community reacted with a ferocity not witnessed in the 50 years of partition. Whole areas were barricaded off to keep British troops out and rioting went on for days and 7,000 were displaced from their homes, thousands of them travelling to the Republic. To put things in context, in the eight months before internment, just 34 people were killed, and the four months after, 140 were. In Turf Lodge and Ballamurphy, like many other places, gun battles raged for days amid CS gas, rubber bullets, water cannons, buildings burnt to the ground, RUC and army barracks attacked, and death. 20 civilians, two soldiers, and two IRA volunteers. While every area suffered, Ballamurphy experienced nothing less than a massacre as the Paris killed 11 unarmed residents, including a local priest. This just less than six months before the slaughter on Bloody Sunday in Derry by the same second para. The heroes of Arnhem would never be heroes in Ireland. Not one member of the parachute regiment was ever charged with assault. Never mind wholesale murder. For anyone living outside the six counties who wondered why things were the way they were 
These two events in August 71 and January 72 should answer all your questions. What was it like in the streets? As I've said before, we were young teenagers in 69, 71. In my case, a little quirk of fate to be domiciled in West Belfast, as both parents were country people, economic migrants from Tyrone and Donegal, who had made Belfast their home après World War II. For us, Georgie Best, The Beatles and Abbey Road were the messy and you two of the day. Neil Armstrong plodded along the moon's surface as if he was walking Marble Hill. The Palestinians were the first air traffic controllers to clear a runway on time at Jordan Airport. Honduras and El Salvador went to war after a World Cup game, not unlike the Colombian Escobar shot after missing a penalty years later. They take their football seriously in Latin America. Life was moving along as it always does, and as 15-year-olds are doing exams, first disco and girls, first Zelda game, first time in Croke Park, summers in Dublin, in the bog with old Lafferty in the mountain bar with John and Mick. Relative, relatively normal teenage days, but always to change that August 69. British troops landed in the streets in the falls, Ardorn and Bogside were in turmoil. Whole streets burned to the ground, death from RUC gunfire, barricades, free dairy. It was to change the lives of everyone who threw, lived through that time. After an initial honeymoon period, things deteriorated around the summer of 70, as red and British soldiers became an everyday occurrence. With a blundering stormant regime and British army fueling the flames of conflict, with disastrous decisions made which contributed to the rising conflict, August 69, Ballymurphy riots, Short Strand battle, Falls curfew, internment and Bloody Sunday. Our lives became a whole ritual of conflict with British troops in the RUC. Daily riots as the troops and massive foot patrols of maybe 50 to 100 soldiers would patrol through the estates. Women would be out banging the bin lids to warn off a warn of their imminent approach. Then hundreds of youths would escape would engage the troops firing stones and petrol bombs while the soldiers would respond in kind with CS gas, plastic and rubber bullets. This was the daily routine for the first years of the 70s. Reds would to and fro, the soldiers would come under attack and then they would chase after the riders with snatch squads, capturing some who wouldn't qualify for the European Championships in Glasgow this week. Barricades were erected and city buses became popular barricade if not bonfire material. As darkness would descend, events would become eerily sinister. As time went on, the guns came out and a new dimension was added to the equation. Soldiers came from all parts of the UK. King's own Scottish borderers, Welsh guards, paras and marines. Of course, like ourselves, they were all working class kids who were lured by sexy ads showing recruits skiing in the Alps. The next thing they knew, they were patrolling down the Falls Road, the greatest laxative known to man. 750 soldiers and police were killed during the conflict, and they killed over 300, and another 2,000 killed by the various factions involved. Like all conflict situations, there's no one comes out of it with clean hands. As the riots raged in the early days, a rather unique situation emerged in Turf Lodge when a young curate, Father Paddy Coyle, 
became the unofficial street clearer in red situations. Father Paddy had arrived in Turf Lodge just as the troubles erupted. A native of County Louth assigned to his first parish in Trouble Tour in West Belfast. Must have been some reward from God for him. He was a lovely guy, young priest who took it on himself to be a man of the people. No biblical nonsense for him. He took on his vocation in the violent streets of Turf Lodge as it should be. Mixing with working class kids, helping them face the conflict with compassion not a lecturing dismissal from above. I got to know Father Paddy Shure's shared love for cross-country running. He was a great runner representing Ireland in the World Cross-Country Championships in 73 and won many Irish titles. I ran cross-country for the school and used to train with Father Paddy after school. He would run five miles with us and then take off on a 20-mile trot himself. We all had great time for him as he would meet him every day in the youth club and indeed he even organised a bus to take us to Dublin for the Celtic-Waterford European Cup game in October 70. But his running skills not only impressed us but the local military commander who thought he would utilise Father Paddy's extraordinary ability to cover 100 yards in 10 seconds to help his beleaguered troops get a bit of peace during their four-month sojourn in Red Torn Belfast. Apparently the CEO of the King's own Scottish Borders contacted the local parish priest during a lull in some serious reading and asked could he send Father Paddy down and try to defuse the situation. The next thing we knew was the sight of Father Paddy coming running down through the red torn streets, gas, broken glass and wounded bodies all over the place. Courageous young feral youth in one side and equally courageous young soldiers in the other and this equally courageous but slightly mad young curate holding the middle ground. And then sending us scattering in all directions, achieving in five minutes what the pride of the British Army couldn't do in five hours. We had great respect for Father Paddy, so while the greatest army in the world, the descendants of the Somme and Verdun, Arnhem, Aden and the Suez Canal couldn't clear the streets of young working class kids, in an estate built post-World War II to house the overflowing nationalist population in the inner city streets of the Lower Falls. Father Paddy's appearance in the streets would clear the place. He was a one-man strike force and in a unique position as he knew us all and we had to face him the next day in the youth club. Those days are long gone now, almost 50 years. I haven't seen Father Paddy since. Our lives went off on a tangent. He went on running and so did we, but unfortunately we got caught. He's retired now back in his native Louth in Dundalk, to be precise, but I'm sure those early days in Turf Lodge are still lodged in his memory. On a personal level, I can still see Father Paddy coming running down through the streets of Turf Lodge in the middle of a red. Dressed in his black attire, he wasn't giving out communion or hearing confession, but he could clear a street. Not because it was an order from the British Army, but because he didn't want to see any of the kids from the youth club become another statistic from the conflict. Father Paddy Coyle, priest, running and far as far. <laughs>